Welcome to Slacker Motor Radio with Brad and Addison. Based out of the Pacific Northwest, we're talking motorcycles in the motorcycle community, and we're excited to have this hour with you. Here we go. Welcome back, Slackers. Brad, how you doing? I am doing good. How is Addison doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. I had a pretty good weekend. I got yeah. uh, got a little bit done in the garage. Got a little a uh, little bit done in the house. Got some work done on a neighbor's car. Had uh, you know all kinds of adventures this weekend, so it wasn't too bad. Oh, you you weren't social distancing? What? I'm confused. Yeah, I'm social distancing more or less. But uh, we did some some yard work. Neighbor helped out with that. So in trade, I installed a a new exhaust kit on his Ranger. So now he's just rolling around loud in the neighborhood, and I have no complaints. Oh, well, I'm sure the other neighbors may have something to say about that. Hey, he picked he picked the uh, the muffler, and that Flowmaster sounds good, man. Is it? What, which one did he put in? I don't know. Offhand, he already had it unboxed and sitting on a shelf, so I just grabbed that and the pipes and installed it all for him. I am, I am so disappointed that you have no idea. No idea. I didn't buy it. I just installed it. It was a, a labor of love. Well, that's good. Sounds like you had a good weekend. Pretty productive. I know you sent me a, a couple photos. Worked on a, a two-stroke. I was surprised. I thought you'd be working on one of these other bikes. So what was going on there? Well, I've always had a couple of little distraction projects, we'll call them, floating around in the shop. Uh, one of them was the JT1 parts engine. has always just been kind of sitting on my bench in the idea of selling it as it was or figuring it out or doing something with it so i decided just to get that distraction out of the corner of my mind it was too easy to to just take a bolt here and there off of it because i didn't care too much to just finish it off so i split the case and got that completely disassembled figured out why it was a parts engine uh, with a pretty good seized uh, piston in the cylinder mm-hmm. and uh yeah so i guess my big request on that is uh, Listeners, please uh, go check out the Slacker Moto Facebook page uh, and then put your vote on what we should do with some of these unusable pieces that came out of the engine. So I've got a couple of trophies that came from there that if your vote is for a trophy, that's great. But uh, add a comment of what you think I should do with uh, with those parts. Yeah, that's uh, that sounds like a good, uh, good little uh, workaround. Something to something to occupy you, get some things cleaned up, and sounds fun. It's definitely one of those gratifying, uh, you know, things where it's a simple couple hour project. Got the everything removed off of the cases, all the bearings pressed out, and just you know, use some tools in the garage. Somewhat quick to do, and in the end, I've got a pile of usable spare parts and a pile of things I won't need that I can sell, uh, and then a pile of stuff that just is basically trophy because nobody wants it. <laughs> it's that bad. Yeah, I'm not going to sell yeah, garbage. Those photos that you sent me, it, uh, it didn't look too good. It looked like there was some water in there, and it, like you had mentioned in our text, that it sat outside. So uh, it's a little disappointing to see that something was abused like that. But uh, to your point, it was just a, a parts motor that you could get a few things out of and a couple things that were ruined weren't items that you were looking for so that's good yeah i got everything i needed off of it to rebuild the good jt1 
Um, but I figure, you know, there's a number of, of wear items or, you know, gears or different different things that could be useful to, to hang on to, put into a box and, and store for the JT1 to, to either go with the bike when I sell it or, you know, if I ride the crap out of it to, to replace before I sell it again. So, you know, uh, worth getting that stuff out uh, rather than just chucking a whole engine or doing, you know, whatever else with it. It was uh, clearly not you know, rotating the, the crank at least. So there's really no reason to, you know, to try to eke some money out of that engine as it sat. It was, it was pretty much a brick unless you tear into it and pull these useful parts out. So it was worth doing. It was fun. Good to kind of got that distraction out, cleaned up the bench, really sets me up to be able to tear in full speed into the gladiator this week. So that's the plan. Nice. You're just going to start tearing it apart, take a look, assess what's going on. I know you've bought some parts already to start rebuilding it when it gets to that point. Yeah, I disassembled a lot of the rear case and, and got everything kind of prepped to be able to do the triple bypass, but I didn't remove anything that involved timing or, or any critical items um, just because I didn't want to go ahead and make those changes before I and leave it for a significant period of time uh, as I might forget where to put them or where they were exactly now it is a lost spark engine so it's pretty hard to get it wrong as long as your your timing marks are opposing on the crank and the cam uh, it actually sends a spark to the plug on the exhaust stroke as well as the the fuel stroke so the uh you know there's no you're a 50 50 chance and even at that point it doesn't matter if it's off because it's rotating every turn uh, every cycle or every two cycles it's doing exactly the same thing instead of every four cycles so it makes it easy it's basically you have to time it equivalent to a two stroke which is pretty easy um without all of the tuning for spark advance and all that on a two stroke so yeah should be simple enough but i didn't want to tear that far into it without being ready to put it back together Uh, so i've got everything lined up parts wise all the new stuff i need uh, gaskets, components, timing chain, timing chain guides, uh, seals, bearings, everything I need to get that to start reassembling. So I'll pull off the last of the covers and go Rock for it. Bearings and everything else as well. You're going to have it, uh, you know, check the cylinder and hone it or bore it. And what, what, what's on the docket there? So for now, no, we're going to just do the, the, everything in the rear case. Um, basically the the triple bypass and a cleanup of all the bearings and everything back there. Uh, We're going to put it back together, run it, see what we got. Uh, Just make sure that all that is functional. And then we'll do some more diagnostics of the, of the rest of the engine and and break it down right now. What are you talking about? I'm confused. That's easy enough to get out. It's four bolts. I know, but you, it's time. Yeah. There's a lot of sub items that need to get put back together and, and uh, created and custom fabricated a lot that needs to be done to get the project going um, or keep it going prior to uh, you know final final paint and uh, and assembly so it'll have to come back out either way um, so there's really no reason to to dig into that half of it because oh, if we're differ. working on the cylinders and heads and all of that you don't actually split the same case that's split now no, I understand. I understand. You just have it out, and so you could have it 
completely rebuilt, completely fresh, sitting on the bench. That's the incentive to finish the rest of the project is you've got this finished motor that is ready to drop in. It's ready to go. And if you do take it out, you're not having to tear it apart after you're ready to just paint the print. I Just something to consider. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, okay. That's fair. You and I have different time on this. still got his uh, head off of his KLR. That's, that's what I was going to say. I've got everything I need to get it back together and run it as a as a driver whilst I finish the rest. So. Okay, okay. No, that's cool. Looking Before. forward to it. Like I said, I saw some photos. Pretty excited to see how that uh, comes together. I know you've been masterminding some stuff with that. So that's that's cool. Now, what about on the uh, what about on your uh, stripple? Got to get some work on that. I've got, you know, I started some projects in, in the, the big shop that we have access to. And uh, now we don't have that same access. And I've got parts kind of sitting and waiting for, for the rest of the fabrication and assembly that I may just have to schedule a time to come pick up with all the with all the regulations kind of easing up at, at work. They've actually tightened up. So it is pretty amazing. You should see what it looks like here. I can only imagine after after three thirty. I'm sure there's not even anyone there anymore. They basically told you you can't be. <laughs> yeah, there's there's lots going on. That's so, another story. So I know you'll get that going on, but if you're going to use it for any trips this year. I know that that's at least one of the projects that you're working on is something to help with that. So I'm looking forward to seeing that finished up. Yeah, I've got about a month to get that done because end of June is the plan to taking on a multi-day ride and i'd like to have that rack on there well the question is is this is the slacker motor ride gonna take place is is there going to be an event that you guys go to or have, have you guys talked about that a little bit more since all this started yeah there will we've had a couple meetings uh getting things going i'm we're basically planning a trip out to lolo pass out into montana so oh that's not the lolo pass that i think of for anybody that's in the northwest around portland at least oh it's the right one it's completely different because it's not anywhere except for just outside of sandy so anyway. yeah but we'll uh that's the plan to head out there you know oregon basically just opened everything up i know this isn't a, a news podcast but oregon Breaking basically is, is required to, to open everything up as the way that things were shut down was found to be unconstitutional so Businesses can start opening. I guess uh, the governor did things wrong and through a loophole can no longer hold anyone hostage. Uh, that's still under debate, but it's uh, definitely interesting that that came up today or I yeah. guess yesterday for those that listen to this podcast. But uh, uh, it, we'll see how that plays out. I know that that's going to go to the Oregon Supreme Court and they're going to be talking about that. But I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, it is well. And I know, you know, obviously the goal, at least, for us is, is be smart out there. I mean, whether it's could be open a hundred percent or not is, is really irrelevant. What we need to do is what's best for, for us and those around us. So it doesn't necessarily mean we all need to go nuts and, and make bad choices. But uh, at the same point that can go both ways, right? Bad choices can be shut down everything and bad choices can be go nuts and have no regulations. So be smart in between. And I think we'll all be all right. Again, don't need to get into the politics of that in any way. We're, we're supposed to be rounding out the end of this, not diving into the middle of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
nonetheless, I think that rolls into uh, pretty well to what we want to talk about. Now, if you listened last week, uh, we talked about basically the, the chicken wing and its, uh, its new owner, but we got into a discussion on what we were going to talk this week. And with regulations starting to lighten up in a lot of places, uh, possibly Oregon, Washington here soon, as we're hearing in the news, um, we expect to see a lot more riders on the road. In fact, I feel like I already do see a lot of riders on the road. That's probably more due to the good weather coming back than these regulations. Um, But, you know, at least where I live, I'm right there in the mouth of the gorge, right there at the gateway to running down some really good highways through the gorge. And I see a lot of groups, especially on the weekend, going through this area, uh, heading on a ride uh, further east. So I'm seeing a lot of people on the roads. But I'm also, you know, seeing a lot of people that are either just getting their endorsement or just did get their endorsement that are just getting into riding. Kind of, I don't know if it's due to the desire to not be so pent up or to have a little bit more freedom or whatever it is. A lot of people are getting into uh, motorcycling or at least wanting to know how and get their their legal motorcycle endorsement. Um, and so as I see that, the, the biggest thing I think of, I, I reflect back, I haven't had mine really all that long compared to probably most of our listeners, or many of our listeners have probably had it significantly longer uh, than I have. I only had it for a number of years now, what, five, five six years. Mm-hmm. Um, street legal, at least riding. I've ridden dirt for a long time. But, uh, you know, I think about how I rode you know, day one, let's say, getting my endorsement the first time I got up, got on the highways versus how I ride today and what I notice around me. And when I think about that, I realize that there's a lot of things that we do as riders to be safe that aren't necessarily explicitly stated. But there's also a lot of things, of course, that are explicitly stated and clear. So I thought that, you know, today let's discuss a little bit what we can do as riders to be safer on the roads. Now, well, uh, what do you think? Another avenue comes into play here is that there's many people who know what we can do to be safe on the roads, but they choose to not always follow those practices or wear that equipment as well. That's fair. Yep. And that, and that's this is by no means a you know a comprehensive list. Uh, I don't have a, you know everything you could ever do. Uh, We're not saying that if you do all these things, you will be safe either because things do happen, whether you're in a car, on a bike or wherever stuff happens. And, and, you know, it's not always the best. And and in my opinion, you don't live your life in fear. Therefore, I ride. But, you know, what we're trying to express is there's things you can do. You can ignore it. You can do it. But if you do some of these things and maybe they're not for you and they're not safe in your area or whatever it is. But uh, generally, you'll find find more safety. And, you know, one of the things I hear that's probably the blanket statement for all these things that I hear a lot of people talk about is, you know, ride like everyone's out to get you. Ride like everyone on the road wants to kill you. And I think that's a good blanket statement for how to ride, you know, to where if you ride like that, then you're just aware and it starts to hone a lot of these more specific skills that I kind of want to talk about. But it is at least a good thing to to think about, right? If you're out there, they may not be actively trying to kill you like you should be thinking. But if you think that way, you tend to kind of go to the safer spots and, and act a little bit safer around cars, bikes, and other equipment. Right. I think what you're trying to get at with the they're trying to kill you type statement is that they, they're not going to see you. 
that they're not looking for a motorcycle in a lot of instances. When you're riding at least um, in an area where there's a lot of side streets and cross streets and everything else that people are trying to get out and going and not so much intentionally try to get you right. I just want to make that clear that it's really that people just don't see. They don't see a motorcyclist. They're not, their awareness isn't for a smaller vehicle with a single headlight or equivalent to said single headlight. They're looking for large motor vehicles. That's fair. And there's a lot of studies that support that, that they've done, uh, you know, studies with a motorcyclist behind a, a signpost and things like that. And where you just, you literally can't see it in some cases. In other cases, you're just, your natural instincts don't see it. So yeah, you're dead on. And it's really been proven scientifically with a number of studies that that's the case. You are less likely to be seen on a motorcycle and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now the, I guess the, the best place to start, I would think in this conversation is what are the, what are the fundamentals we learn? Uh, you know, some of us may have been riding long enough that we don't really actively think about them. And there's, likely some that we don't do. Um, but what are some of these fundamentals of, of safe riding to you, Brad? Mm-hmm. I know it's been a while since you've gotten your endorsement. You've had it a lot longer than I have. What, uh, you know, what do you remember from, from your motorcycle safety course that taught you how to, uh, how to actively be safe while riding? I think the biggest thing that, uh, that comes to mind initially as we talk through this is, is awareness right? Awareness of your surroundings, being alert on the motorcycle. If you are going to ride a motorcycle, don't do it while you're asleep. Definitely don't do it while under um, the influence of intoxicants. I mean, that's, I think that we don't really need to state that, but I think it should be known that uh, that's also important because anything that impairs your ability to be uh, very alert and aware of your surroundings and what others are doing is something that is immediately putting yourself at risk and others around you, right? Uh, notably, mostly yourself as a motorcyclist. But but that would be the number one um, suggestion for me would be um, being alert and aware. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. Uh, you know, I, I tend to think that I was fairly aware as you know i'll admit i'm a pretty aggressive driver no matter what it is that i'm riding or driving um so i was always fairly aware of my surroundings just so i knew where i could go and be a few steps ahead anyway but yeah motorcycling has caused me by probably necessity to really be hyper aware of that to to make sure i can tell right if there's somebody being erratic or at all strange in their driving you know that is there's almost a, a glow on that vehicle that I can see from a ways out and, you know, keep an eye on them because they're not, they're clearly not paying full attention to driving. They're not, they're not in tune with the weapon that they're, they're using at the moment. You know, mm-hmm. they're kind of using it carelessly per se. You know, I think about that a lot, even as a driver that, that realistically in a car, I, I'm just in a big weapon, you know, am I, am I taking care of that weapon? Because it, it really is a, a deadly weapon in, in many cases. You can do a lot of damage with a car. Right. Well, and there's, there's, there's spectrums for all of this, right? We say to, to be on the alert, be overcautious and be looking. But, and maybe we haven't used the word overcautious, but I think that there's a point where you can actually become a hazard to yourself and others if you are being too careful, right? And, and, and what I mean by that is, 
that you can't go around and immediately assume or be hitting the brakes or be swerving and doing all these other random things that may feel like you're being uh, aggressive in defense, but you could actually put yourself into more harm by switching lanes too carefully. So always understanding what's going around on around you at all times, not so much uh, overreacting to something that you see in one area or a vehicle or whatever the case may be. No, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, it's similar to racing, right? Smooth is fast. Smooth is also safe. If you're smooth and, and predictable, people that are looking out for you, because there are a lot of, despite the, the feeling you should have that everybody's trying to kill you, there are a lot of cars that are looking out for you and give you extra space. I do find that there's a lot of very good drivers that don't want to be responsible for murdering a motorcyclist or injuring a motorcyclist. And they do give you a lot of space and let you in and are very courteous, good drivers. So you know, those guys are looking out for you. And if you're smooth and predictable, they're going to support you on the road. So that, that's a really good point that I do see that. But if you're erratic, they, no one can help you at that point. You're on your own and, and hopefully, you know, can be quick enough on your emergency skills that you can save yourself in those situations. Cause that's all that's left. If you're, if you're erratic and, and all over the place. Um, you know, one, one of the things I think that, that has come up, you know, we talked about a, a gentleman a while back that went down uh, on a ride that, that I was in. Um, but one of the things I think that's, that's really pivotal that I find really helps in riding is how to take a good corner. I think a lot of motorcycle accidents, both due to something on the road or someone on the road or a deer or whatnot, and or just overriding your abilities happen on a corner. Um, and I think looking through the corner is one of the pivotal basic items that I actually think a lot of people, if they don't ride often, forget that you need to look through the corner to where you want to go. It's different than driving a car, even though it's fundamentally the same, it's different. Yeah, you're not wrong there. Um, (laughs) you know, it, it is different, obviously. But, you know, if you look through the corner, it's to the same fundamental skill that you learn in the car, right? If you're at a skid, look ahead at a certain spot and you're more likely to make it to that spot rather than looking right at the front of your car. You can skid out and lose control a lot quicker. Um, You know, I remember learning that in my driver's test years ago for a car. And it's really the same skill set we're talking about for a motorcycle. Look through the corner, look to where you want to go. And then if, if something happens on that corner that throws off, whether it's gravel or rock you know, something that your bike can ride through because it can do a, those tires and your bike can do a shocking amount of work that maybe we don't always trust. But if you're looking to where you want to go and you keep, you know, keep that, maybe not confidence, but keep that trust that you'll get there, you'll pull out of it and keep going that way. And so, uh, you know, in a car, that's usually a going straight, losing traction situation. In a bike, in a corner, that becomes incredibly important. So that's just kind of one of my one of the things that I find that I am always trying to do, be better at is looking through the corner, turning my head and looking through the corner. That I want to make sure that that is ingrained and, and just so natural that I don't even think about it. And you know, it's been a number of years, and I still there's times I'm just so casually riding I forget to really do that with focus and drive, and, and it's just a skill that I'm still working on. So I know that well, at least I hope I'm not the only one. I imagine there's others that. Uh, there are others of us that need to, to better ourselves at looking through that corner. So that's something I think of as just one of the basic skills. Right, right. Now, 
along those lines as well, I think being smooth, you know, you talk about turning and, and braking and things like that, but smooth on the clutch, smooth on the brakes, I think is another really important one. It's easy to lose control or get your, scare yourself, get yourself in trouble if you're not smooth on, you know, lightly pulling the brakes to hard, right? If you start soft, go to where it gives your maximum traction. If you just jab the brakes or stab the foot brake, that's when you put yourself in a skid and you can get yourself into trouble. So I think that's another really, really important, you know, basic skill is working on smooth brake actuation, smooth clutch release. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, but it also comes into play as far as how you're proportioning the amount of front brake versus your rear brake as well. And understanding that that can have a great effect on how the bike behaves whether it be on straightaway at a stop sign or, or going through a corner if you are trying to um, need to stop for whatever reason as well. So you don't want the ass end to, to slide out and you don't want it to nosedive either and have other issues. So, uh, but, but that's a good point. I like that. That's a good one. No, you're right. And I, you know, at least that one and, and a couple of these, even just getting used to looking through corners and, and these basic on-seat skills, I mean, even now, if you're not riding or if you're at home or in your garage, there are things that you can kind of work on. You can work on that smooth actuation of the brake by just rolling forward half an inch and see if you can smoothly light up the brakes, right, instead of just grabbing. I mean, even walking your bike around a garage, if you just stab the brake as you're moving forward, you're more likely to tip it over and lose it because it even shocks you when you're next to the bike let alone being on it. So you can work on these smooth, right, work on that slow brake actuation to where you can really get used to that feel of, you know, light to, to heavy. at Because once you can do it at a fairly good pace, your, your stopping distance is, is really low on a bike mm-hmm. if you know how to do that right. And so, you know, that's something you can practice more or less with the foot in front of you. You can still practice that skill, both uh, front and rear brakes, if you really, you know, if you want to. And I, I think there's, benefits in practicing these things if you're not riding all the time these skills they they go weak because in a car it's very different to your point yeah you know and with using the brakes though i mean it's one thing to do it at slow speeds and i think that's good for somebody kind of starting off how does it feel how does it react but even going out on the road and going to a safe location and not doing it fast but slow you know five to ten miles per hour pressing on the brakes and and unpredictable ways to see how your bike behaves and not in a dangerous way, but to kind of play, pull on the brake a little bit, see how it reacts because that gives you awareness of how your motorcycle is going to move potentially at a higher speed when you do something that you don't even intend to have happen. Like being in an emergency situation and having to press on the brakes and not having ABS, let's say you've now, pressed on the brake too hard, you know that you have to do something now, let's say somebody stopped in front of you or pulled out in front of you. How's the bike going to behave when you press on those brakes and you press on them hard? So doing it in a controlled environment can give you awareness of how your bike is going to handle and maneuver in a severe environment or situation. That's a good point. Yeah. Practice makes perfect. Now, Beyond, uh, you know, beyond these basic skills, what uh, do you find yourself doing anything on a day-to-day basis that maybe was never explicitly stated to, uh, to keep yourself safer? The reason I ask is, is I find, if I think back when I first started riding to today, I, I really feel like 
I am threatened less, and not just mentally, but in reality, physically threatened by the cars around me um, than I was when I first started writing. And it's not any of these real basic, you know, a lot of it probably has to do with awareness, to your point, but it's none of these, like, basic, you know, smooth brakes, smooth acceleration. Those are not the skills that are making it so less people are coming into my lane or less people are turning out in front of me. Uh, I think there's other things I've learned as I've ridden that I think that's something really, really important to share here on today's episode. Is there anything well, that you so do? I think what you're getting at is giving space, giving yourself space. So that way, not riding on somebody's tail and allowing yourself to have that area that if something happens that you have time to react. Is that what you're suggesting? So I think, you know, that's something to be said about cars in front of me uh, and or, you know, cars behind, making sure that you're, if there's somebody riding you, let them by or get, you know, somehow make space there because you also don't want somebody right behind you or make extra space in front of you so you can very slowly come to those stops. Um, But, you know, that's that's one of the items. And I think that's something that they talk about a lot, and at least they did in my uh, initial courses. And training there visible spaces so don't be hiding in essence yep i think that's one important one right leaving your motor making sure that you are riding in a location that allows you to be visible to more people around you and kind of blocking off ways that somebody might sneak in so like riding more towards the center line on a two-way versus on the shoulder right where now it appears that somebody could cut in on you Right, would be one thing as well. No, I think that's fair. And I I was thinking about this over the last couple of weeks. I've been thinking we need to have this. And last week after we decided that we were going to have this conversation, I've really thought a lot about it. And there's a couple of things at least that I do. And, you know, feel free to to argue if you think that these are just totally crazy. But a couple of things that I noticed that I've been doing over the last, I don't know, while that I've thought about this um, that, that, that I think make it safer. And again, I don't have any physical statistics or anything that, you know, says that these are better, but things that I do take them or leave them that I, I think are making me safer. And one of them is often, it does have a lot to do with space being aware of the space in front of me when there are cross traffic, um, options, right. When there could be people stopping and pulling in front of me, I actually like to make sure that I am fairly close to the vehicle in front of me. So there's not this indistinguishable gap because it is hard to tell with a motorcycle because of the size difference from a car, how far away it actually is. Our eyes are not as trained for it. And so there are oftentimes people will think you're a lot further than you are because you're on a smaller vehicle. But in reality, you're only a few hundred yards off at most. Yeah, I think that's a debatable one. I see, I can see the argument for it, but it kind of goes against what I said earlier about making sure that you have enough space to react and you don't have yourself tailgating somebody and have them stop and you not have enough time to react. And, you know, and I, I hear you. Not necessarily am I saying I'm, I'm right up on the guy in front of me, but I want to be, you know, three, three, four car lengths behind at most so that it's clear that I am behind that person and there is not a space for someone to come out. At the same point, I tend to ride very, I, I use the lane. I tend to use all points of that lane. So as I'm coming up to a crossroad where someone could pull in, I am on the side 
uh, more or less, I'm kind of I'm not necessarily weaving quickly and dangerously, but I am using that whole lane going back and forth. So if there's somebody that's trying to cross in front of me from the left lane, right, that would then cross in front to go into that crossroad, or someone coming out of the crossroad on either direction, that at any point they can see me because I'm on either side of the car in front of me at all times, right? I'm moving back and forth in the lane to make sure that they know on either side of that vehicle in front of me, especially if it's a truck or a larger vehicle, that there's a motorcycle behind them that I kind of poke out on either side to make sure people see me. But similarly, I will tend to, when I get to that crossroad, ride on the inside of my lane on the the center strip area so that if someone pulls out in front of me, because that's usually the guy that's trying to shoot the gap Mm -hmm. is the guy pulling out to into my lane that if he does that, there's some room usually next to him should that happen. Now, I haven't had that happen in a while, knock on wood, but, you know, I, I try to use the lane. I guess what I'm getting at this is a very specific scenario is that where you're at side to side in the lane also really matters. Pay attention to where people are. If you need to be close to someone so that they can see you, you want to be a little bit closer in the lane. You want to be on that side of the lane. And if you want to be far enough to give yourself an emergency exit, you need to be on the far side of the lane wherever that may be given your situation. But lane awareness and where you are, just riding in the middle mind, mindlessly is not necessarily the safest way to ride. Okay, okay. I can see that. I think it's debatable. You kinda, you, it's tough on over the air to give a good descriptor, and you're doing a good job, but to really explain something in a way that they can fully understand where we're coming at. I think the biggest thing is, you know, trying to leave it as a blanket statement at the least that you want to make sure that you're visible. And as much as we keep on going into moving the motorcycle around, I think something that we've overlooked that is really important that people need to consider is what they're wearing, that you want to increase your visibility not just in how your motorcycle is maneuvering and where you're at, but also in people being able to stand out, to have retroreflective clothing on. And although it may not be that cool look that a lot of us would love to see and, and, and that we see in the movies and, and other things that we've talked about on the podcast, but it's something that is proclaiming that I am here. I want to stand out. And I know that there are many people that, that wears some gear that's very bright. It's the green and it, it stands out and it's not really that cool, but man, safety can be pretty cool knowing that people can see you and that they're going to see you. They are going to see you if they look over, right? So I, I think that's something that people really should consider is what they're wearing. Uh, you know, and, I, and that goes even beyond visibility, but what you're wearing is, it can often be the difference between walking away from a crash and not. Right. And that's, yeah, to your point, you know, good equipment as well. Yeah. You know, that's one thing I, I talk to a lot of new riders that are, you know, oh, I'll just get a jacket and a, and a helmet and move on and, you know, wear a pair of rubber gloves. And, you know, that's, that's just not going to cut it. You go down and you try to stop your fall on the street with your hand and that three seconds or less of your hand rubbing on the street is going to wear your entire skin layers off. Mm-hmm. You know, you you need good gloves. You need good boots. A lot of people break their ankle when the bike comes down on their foot. If you've got, you know, a chintzy pair of sneakers, you know, the chances of you injuring yourself are much higher. You don't have that extra protection. So, you know, wearing 
you know, they call it at GAT, all the gear, all the time, you know, doing that really does have value. And I'm not saying everyone needs to go out and drop, you know, $1,500 per piece of equipment on a, you know, $1,500 coat, $1,500 pants, whatever. But there is, you know, even lower cost options that at least check off the boxes for what you should have. You know, knee pads, Kevlar, things like that. Here is buy what you can afford. If you can buy the good equipment, it's good equipment and get it. If, if that's pushing it, you know, you're going to have to make some compromises, obviously, and maybe it wouldn't survive going down four times, but get something that's going to work for you that you can afford that is going to pro- provide protective layers, has some pads or whatever the case may be in it, whether to your point, Kevlar, I know I cut you off or whatnot to protect you in the event of going down that's not going to just wear out immediately. And I think that's fair, you know, and even along those lines, I know this is all at times contradicting requirements, but it's important to also realize that, you know, you don't want to wear your, if you bought one coat and it's a heavy coat, you know, you don't want to wear that on a hundred degree day because your fatigue is going to be higher and your ability to be quick on your feet and really make decisions and move your motorcycle correctly are going to be reduced. So you want to make sure that you're getting at least the closest gear you can for that type of riding or that type of weather, because it really, you know, having been someone who had one coat and would ride hundred degree days in a winter coat, you know, it gets hot and you do lose your ability to make decisions and, and to really think quick on your feet. Um, if you're not wearing the right equipment. So, you know, it's worth, again, buy what you can afford. It's worth getting a low cost summer Kevlar jacket if that makes you ride smarter because now you can not focus so much on how hot and miserable you are, but you can focus on the ride itself. Mm-hmm. No, that's for sure. Now I, you know, I, we could keep going about all the little, little nuances and little things we do riding, but I think the, the point that I wanted to get across is as you're riding, you know, th- there will likely be times that you don't necessarily have close calls, quote unquote, there will be times that that might happen. I'm not gonna say nobody's going to get hurt because History tells us at some point someone gets hurt. But, you know, when you're riding, pay attention to the things that the cars around you do. And if you see something that was dangerous, that you already avoided, and that you were good about, you know, a car started coming into your lane, you slowed down, whatever, you're frustrated that the van did that, or whatever happened, you know, pay attention to what happened and maybe why, what you could have done to prevent it. And I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned as I've ridden is, you know, every time I ride is a little bit more experience. Every time I do something wrong, it's an opportunity to think about it and say, hey, what could I do better so this doesn't happen again? Um, And I find that as the years have gone, I I don't see those issues come in. I don't see cars coming into my lane because I don't ride in blind spots. I make sure that I'm fully behind a vehicle or in front of a vehicle or right in their window to where if they look over at any rate, they're going to see me. And I'm also fully aware of all the cars next to me to where, you know, if they start to come over... I'm quick enough to get out of the way because, you know, they don't make it a a full tire over the line before I realize, Hey, they're coming. I got to go. You know, you you just, to your point, that awareness of what's going on. If you have that awareness, you can grow and build and be safer and safer every day. And I think that's the biggest thing I've gotten from it. And that I think I, I would like to encourage everyone as you're riding, you know, I motorcycling is fun. Uh, really it's, it's, an awesome experience and something that, that I won't give up, but, um, you know, but there are things that make it, 
dangerous. And us as writers, it's our responsibility to do our best to make it not so dangerous. And so these are just a few things that I've been thinking of as as I've had friends and family start to get their endorsements and jump into the sport that I feel is kind of my obligation to to share the the risks and help, you know, teach or help uh, you know help make sure people are aware of those risks and do their have all of the skills and and knowledge necessary to mitigate that risk. Well, and so the, the only issue that I have, I mean, it, it's good that we're covering this, and I hope some people take some some notes and and kind of think about how they can implement them. But more importantly, uh, is continued education, because not everything is intuitive as far as what we can do as a writer to mitigate and reduce risk, and so. I would highly recommend that for new writers, take a, a writer's training course. As ridiculous as it may sound, and I know they are a little spendy, you can learn a lot of great information in a short period of time from people who know what they're doing and you're not just getting it as hearsay. I mean, e- even from us, and I know a lot of what we are discussing are things that we learned by taking a training course of some sort or writing with very good and proficient writers but as a new writer it's difficult to know when somebody else is proficient without writing with them for an extended period of time and and we're fortunate enough that we have uh, an organ training um, um, personnel that is part of our crew that goes out with us and so he gives little tidbits of information in very good ways it's not um, you know, in a pompous way by any means, but to, to go to people that know what they're talking about, that have a good foundation of, of research that's backing what they're training each other to be uh, training others um, as far as writer safety is concerned. And then for those that, so that would be on the, the new writer side, as far as those that have experience, there's other training courses, at least in Oregon, and I know this is valid for the rest of the United States, I'm sure, that they, they have additional training courses that you can go through that are high speed, that kind of get into some of these additional nuances of how to ride and how to ride at higher speed safely and what they do that, uh, from what I've heard, can actually kind of be fun as well because they have you push the limits. You go out to a racetrack or a go-kart track and they actually have you run through some exercises. So I would really recommend that people continue to research or take classes to get that education and not purely um, depend on intuition or common sense. I think it's a really good point. You know, whether it be a track day with a beginner's course where they teach you more about you know, high-speed skills or an advanced or intermediate writer's course, or there's a lot of off-road or, you know, dual sport groups that, that do courses. Um, you know, I, even to your point, writing in a group often allows you to, to critique each other and and give tips back and forth, especially if there's anyone in the group that's got a lot more experience. You can learn from that experience firsthand, either watching them ride or, you know, talking about it at lunch or whatever after a ride. Um Good point. You know, I think we can go through a lot of those uh, those lessons, um, you know, in a more typical classroom learning situation. Uh, and that's a really good point. There's also a lot of resources on the web uh, to learn more and, and do a lot of that. 
in fact, I, you know, I'm happy to open up if you go to the, if, you know, our listeners go into Slacker Moto, uh, Slacker Moto Radio, either or uh, Facebook page, you know, and want to share if you've run a course and you've got that and, you know, want a little place to advertise or you know of a good place to, uh, to give up, you know, in, in Oregon, we've got, you know, our, our Team Oregon group and that's pretty much what it is. And Washington's got their state uh, sanctioned training courses, but I'm sure there's a lot more than we're aware of even in our local area. So yeah, feel free to log in and, and just post uh, some options. I'll have a post with this, uh, with this episode here as it releases. So if you're listening to it, it's already up and yeah, in the comments, just go ahead and add your, uh, your favorite training course, your favorite classroom session, uh, whether it's track day or, or class or official motorcycle safety foundation learning. We'd love to share that out with the community. Uh, other than that though, yeah, join us at our Patreon page. Uh, we appreciate everybody listening in. We appreciate uh, all the support through uh, through these times. And we uh, love seeing all these bikes on the road. So continue to ride and hope that everyone has an awesome week this week. And until next time, stay safe and ride on. Mm-hmm.